Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This episode is being released on September 11th, 2022. This marks 21 years after 9-11, which needless to say was really tragic, but I would say also um, really transformative, if you will, day for all American citizens. Uh, I think the interesting thing about this day is that everybody witnessed the same thing and experience the same kind of grief, but everybody left with vastly different stories um, based on their own unique backgrounds. Uh, at this time, I was alive, but I was only about four months old, so I really don't remember the event personally. But today is very special because uh, my guest that I'm interviewing is my own dad, um, Lieutenant Colonel Shinso. And he, unlike me, does have his own personal um testimony of the event of 9-11 and how that's impacted him. So I'm welcoming him here today on the podcast to talk about his experience and what it's taught him. So, uh, Daddy, thank you for joining the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting finally. I've been here, by the way. <laughs> when you first began your podcast, you told me, you asked me initially if I wanted to get on. Oh, that's right. And I said yes. And it's been how many weeks? And finally, I'm invited on this after all the uh, other uh, illustrious guests have come and gone. Uh, I guess you really ran out of people to invite. I did. I did. They were they were the John the Baptist, if you will, and you are the <laughs> you are the Messiah. We'll put it that way. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> you are a chaplain, which we'll get into. But um, if you could just share with those who don't know you, basically who you are. Uh, where you've come from, what you do, things like that. Okay, so I, you know, as you mentioned, my name is Shen So. Uh, my full name is So Shin Hyun. Uh, so Shin Hyun is my first name. And uh, when I came to the states uh, earlier, um, when I was younger, so it was just easier for everybody to just call me Shin than Shin Hyun. So it kind of stuck with me for the rest of my life, I guess. Uh, but, you know, just going back to the very beginning, I was born in Korea, uh, specifically Daegu. And that's a southern, um, one of the larger cities in uh, the southern part of Korea. Uh, and I was born and raised there until, um, I would say, junior high. And I moved to uh, near Seoul and eventually lived in Seoul for a while before uh, we immigrated to uh, the States. So I do have a little bit of dialect. Um, I don't recognize it. Uh, I don't speak it normally. I do speak a normal Korean, uh, the standard, uh, I guess, uh, accent. But whenever I'm on the phone, I mean, you guys always cry, <laughs> you know, uh, laugh at me <laughs> behind my back because I guess it just comes out when I talk to my um, my parents who who do, uh, do have pretty thick uh, dialect. But anyway, um, came to States in 1988. That's when I was uh, 16 years old. And I was thinking back to it and I realized, you know, I've lived in the States uh, more than twice uh, the length that I lived in Korea. So I just uh, turned 50 a few months ago. Um, but coming to the States, we lived in, my parents lived in New York for a while. Uh, and I went to school in high school in New York City and then went to college in Boston. Went to seminary in Boston as well and then moved to New Jersey. And then uh, since then, uh, 
been in ministry for for a while and then uh that's that's how you know that's kind of how it began mm. ministry in the east coast for a while and then moved out to Tacoma Washington that's uh, west side of uh, the United States and from there I got a chance to enter into the military as a chaplain um, and that was 2005 so since then I've been in the military what 17 years mm. um, almost at the retirement age so I can't yeah. believe it but I know that's kind of my journey in Korea as well as in the States that's so crazy that you mm. say that um, now like more time in your life has been spent in this country, but I still think about it as, wow, my dad came here when he was 16. I feel like that is, you're, you're pretty far along, I guess, in life as far as like forming your own personality and thoughts and belief system, whatever. And then completely switching gears, moving to a different country. I still see that as like way more than 16 years on the surface level. I mean, did you ever feel that coming so late maybe compared to people like my mom like who came when she was uh, a kid do you feel that that impacted your view of moving here to america in any way i think definitely because i think um <clears throat> what we call those years as formative years for you know very specific reasons right so i think our culture uh, thoughts and beliefs and things like that get uh, formed very early in our in our life and that really lasts for the rest of your life so what i notice among the immigrants uh, like especially my friends is that um, when when these folks come to the states or you know any other countries when they immigrate um, the second language and culture so to speak uh, it's easier for them to pick it up when they come when they make that move when they're in elementary school mm. and around you know folks who came around junior high they tend to be pretty bilingual and they're mm -hmm. you know both good and you know korean and english in our case uh, but you know when people come you know during their high school years it's really hard to pick up the second culture so mm -hmm. to speak mm -hmm. so that kind of gets baked into their i guess personality and character mm -hmm. so a, a lot of my friends who came around my age are still i guess somehow more korean cultured mm -hmm. even though they have spent way more time in the states yeah well what i think is interesting about your story is yes there's already that culture aspect i feel like you get so much into this thinking of um like that's part of who you are right because it was so mm -hmm. formative like you're practically an adult at that point at the age of 16 um but not just that but even on the technical side like well correct me if i'm wrong but you didn't know too much english when you came right well, you know, Korea, English is taught in schools mm -hmm. in Korea, but, um, you know, learning language in Korea, like, you know, in learning foreign language in another country is very different than really, you know, using it and kind of picking it up, you know, like just in right. life, um, as opposed to through textbooks and you know, mm -hmm. things like that. So, yeah. yeah, yes, I did know ABCs and I, mm -hmm. I knew some vocabs, uh, but, the book um, knowledge the biggest challenge was really picking up people's spoken language mm -hmm. because yeah. you know people tend to speak very fast right and right. when you cannot associate like you know visualize what mm. they're saying 
So that took a few years. And, you know, once you kind of pick up, oh, yeah, this is what they're saying, then it's easier to kind of put it into, I guess, visualization of, mm. oh, okay, you know, I need to kind of, you know, set the uh, sentence structure this way mm-hmm. and then speak it. But when you try to speak it, the issue is then what you have in your mind to think that, you know, oh, I, I should be sounding like, you know, yeah. these Mr. Cosby, but then when it comes out, it sounds totally fobby. <laughs> so you just kind of get jarred by that. And then, you know, that, yeah. that takes a few more years to kind of acquire that, um, I guess, accent. Or yeah. Get rid of accent, I should say. Yeah, for sure. Well, that, I mean, I bring it up because it's so, I think, um, not just for me, but anybody who gets to know you and then talks to me or finds out from you that you immigrated here when you were 16. Everybody, myself included, is so impressed that you kind of speak in a way perfect English. And I mean, you're a chaplain. And for those maybe who aren't familiar, a chaplain is sort of a pastor in the military in this case. And so you're going up literally giving sermons, like preaching. And that's in this language that you had to really acquire in a real sense, I guess, somewhere like as a teenager. And not only that, but you also, you mentioned this briefly, but also went to Boston College, which isn't necessarily just easy get in, you know, it was kind of, it was... No, I, I just smiled because, you know, uh, thank God for affirmative action. So back then I was, you know, from this poor kid from coming from the Bronx. So, you know, I, I have no mm. illusion of me being you know, super smart or anything like that. But, you know, that, you know, really, I'm mm-hmm. grateful that uh, God gave me that opportunity to attend pretty yeah. good school. Um, so, yeah, once again, I mean, it's, it's really not because I'm super mm. smart. Or anything like <laughs> well, there had to be yeah. something. I'm sure it's two way. I mean, here, we were just living in Korea on an assignment for the military. And even there where I wasn't forced to speak the language and I'm a 21 year old now, I still would be shy about going and making, trying to make a restaurant order because I was so afraid of sounding foolish in that language. Um, but you now like being thrown into this and having to live here uh, as a 16 year old, I feel like that must have taken a certain level of putting yourself out there, stepping out of your comfort zone, being willing to do that. Is that something you ever like intentionally thought about or do you think it was almost like a survival, like a, you got to do it kind of thing? Well, I think looking back, I mean, you, you use that word intention, right? So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of intentionality that's involved. And uh, it's easy to live, especially places like L.A. or New York, where there's a big concentration of Korean immigrants. It's easy to live in that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once again, not because I'm super smart or you know smarter than anybody else, but I think there is a intentionality on my part to really wanting to be assimilated mm-hmm. and wanting to be part of the larger um, American society. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't easy for you know by any stretch of imagination. Um, mm-hmm. I still remember coming here, not knowing anybody, not you know knowing the language, and going to school, and you know just you know. It's hard to go to a new school when you're tenth grade, you know, junior in high school, mm-hmm. um, alone. But you know, like you know, just imagine there's an immigrant, immigrant mm-hmm. who doesn't speak a lick of English, but you know, kind of understand what's going on. But people are not really talking to you, and you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So those are hardships, um, so to speak. Um, and that was hard. I, looking back, I remember you know it was just hard times, but. Mm-hmm. 
also at the same time, I remember like, you know, every morning when I take a shower, I remember, you know, just imagining myself, you know, in certain situations mm. and, you know, just practicing how I would say certain things like, wow. you know, even like, good morning, how are you, <laughs> you know, like, and it is still, it took me a while to understand <clears throat> and get used to this idea, you know, when someone asks you, um, how are you? <laughs> we are not really expecting any answers back, right? So that's kind of like <laughs> high in a longer form. But I still remember when I was, you know, when I initially came to the States, when people ask you, how are you? I, I had to kind of scratch my head and think, you know, how am I doing? <laughs> uh, how should I answer how? this? And by the time I come up with yeah. something, I mean, this person has already left. No. <laughs> but again, mm-hmm. I mean, all that is really intentionality, uh, mm. you know, trying to accomplish something because you want it. I mean, mm. if that's not something that I wanted, then I don't think I would put in that much effort or intention mm. intentionality behind it. So when we speak of this, I guess, directed effort towards something you want, what would you say that thing is that you want? Like, did you did you come and were you all of a sudden like you love America? Like, it was that like you want to be part of it, or was it more like a will to survive, <laughs> a will to get a good job? That's, uh, um, well, that's very important question because you know when I came, of course, there's that newness of a new environment, right? So. I don't want to get into this, you know, what one country is better than another, mm. but just coming to the States, you know, everything is new, exciting, and, you know, there's that, you know, newness behind that. But also, you're, you know, I'm from Korea, you know, and speak Korean and, you know, familiar with the Korean culture and whatnot, and then seeing this new environment, I remember wishing that, you know, well, this, like, you know, what if this was Korea? So just imagine Koreans having this country and yeah. living in this country and everybody spoke Korean. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like my daydream. Yeah, right? wow. Um, but behind that, I think I really liked that newness mm-hmm. and just wanted to be part of this new thing that I'm not really familiar with. Mm. So I don't, you know, for example, like um, when people talk about, um, what's that show? Mm-hmm. Um, Brady Bunch. When, mm-hmm. when people talk mm-hmm. about Brady Bunch, I had no idea what that was mm. because I did not grow up here in you know, 70s and 80s. So that's big part of big piece of that jigsaw puzzle where, like, you know, I'm here in the States. I live here. I'm supposed to be Korean American, but mm. I don't know these things that has happened in the past. Right. So when people um, mention these things, that common experience, that's something that uh, I was missing. Yeah. Right. So I think, you know, when people share that common experience when you know you don't have to explain what that is to somebody else mm. i think that's where you feel that kinship of yeah, yeah yeah we've gone through that before together so like you mentioned you know when you say 911 mm-hmm. most of us know what that is mm-hmm. most of us know that you know we're not just you know talking about like some phone number or you know zip right. code or anything like that but 911 is an event that happened in 2001 mm. september 11th and just the fact that you don't have to explain that to me, mm-hmm. we share that common background yeah. and experience. So there's that, you know, that kinship and that sense of community, right? Mm, yeah. But that's, I think, what was missing when I first came to the States where, you know, when people mention these things and sing Brady Bunch song, hmm. I had no clue what they were. And yeah. I still remember, like, you know, one of the classes I was sitting there with, uh, like, you know, this 
African American uh, student, and he was singing something and said, "Hey, you know, come on, join me." Hmm. I couldn't, even if I wanted to, right? Uh, because I didn't know what he was saying, nor you know, I knew knew the tune, but I didn't know the words. Wow! Yeah. So yeah, those are the kind of you know that foreigners experience mm. in a foreign country, foreign culture, and. I think personally, I so wanted to be part of the larger mm-hmm. community, part yeah. of this big something, right? Yeah. So I think that's where my desire to be part of this country came from. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's those little things, even because mm-hmm. I feel like with that example, that's something I would never think about, mm-hmm. right, as a problem. And I'm sure that's hard because it's not only just about you, like how is this going to make me look. But it's also like you don't want to be the party pooper for the other person. Like, yeah, I I don't know. And then you kind of ruin the moment. I feel like it's those small, small things. I'm sure that wasn't kind of a quick turnover. Like it must have been years in the works of you feeling like you were um, really getting assimilated into this country or this culture. Uh, What kind of what kind of impact would you say that had on you? Because I could imagine that it could make one feel very maybe alienated and bitter or maybe it drives you to like you know push harder at that do you feel it was one of those things i think there are two dimensions to that right so Mm -hmm. uh, on the personal side for me it's me wanting to be something part of something Mm -hmm. but feeling like i am inadequate Mm -hmm. Um, so you know wanting to be an american but i'm not i I myself are fully aware that I'm not fully American because I don't even speak the language mm-hmm. too well. I'm not too familiar with these cultural references. Mm-hmm. And so just feeling like this, I'm living in a foreign land. Another dimension is people's reaction to you. Mm-hmm. Right? Obviously, here is a guy who, uh, although I was living in the States, people don't necessarily know that I'm an American. Right. right? So I remember, you know, one experience when I was driving uh, with my brother and something must have fell out. I mean, it was a snowy day and it was just you know, pretty terrible weather. So we stopped at the gas station and we didn't, like, I didn't know, but something must flew out of the, uh, the car and flew out. And this lady picked it up and, like, you know, she came over to us and, you know, just shoved that to our face and then said... Mm. You know, maybe in your country, you guys do this, but we don't do that here. Wow. I was angry. I was really Mm -hmm. ticked off because how do I... I was angry at this person for saying something like that, such an ignorant comment. But at the same time, I was really saddened too. Mm -hmm. Because that's one experience where I realized, like, no matter how I want to be part of this country, I am not considered to be a part of this country mm, yeah um, so how much or what do i need to do in order for me to become or in order for me to be considered hmm. an american part of this country mm. so and i think there's you know it, it still happens yeah um, and if you want to call it racism it is uh i think it's more to do with people's ignorance um, it's gotten mm-hmm. a whole lot better than you know 1980s yeah. and 90s but and you know i'm grateful for um, the citizens of this country for really recognizing and you know coming mm. to terms with that, uh, especially lately. But it still happens. 
Yeah. You know, it's in some ways it feels like you know just you know having a you know, crush with somebody, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and you, you you like this girl and you want to you know just impress this girl, but at the time you know at the same time this girl does not even know that you exist. And wow. That's kind of like you know feeling that I had when oh. I first came to the states. Yeah, and I mean as frivolous as it might sound, I feel even from my perspective or other people my age I talk to who um. I, what would we be like second gen second and a half kind of well yeah um, technically we, i mean like i am first generation immigrant i mean mm. that's um perspective wise immigration community I- immigrant community would call me 1.5 or second generation mm. because in their eyes the parents generation is really the the initial first generation that came to the states they happen to bring their kids with them mm. and now these um generation that speaks english and pretty much assimilated <clears throat> they're considered second generation but from american perspective right anybody who came in person initially yeah everybody is considered first generation mm. so you'd be second generation american right. whereas i am considered first generation the initial mm. immigration gen- uh, generation yeah wow mm. that's interesting so um i do feel that even for even people like me who are, let's say, second gen, just to make it easier, like mm-hmm. Asian Americans, even if they're, I, I do feel like you said culture and time today, like so much better about um, not making ignorant racist comments like that nearly as much. But I do feel like there's a lot of that feeling of alienation, just self-inflicted. Like even mm-hmm. though I, through and through, really, I feel I am American. I really don't even speak Korean. Um, this culture is all I've known, especially growing up in the military community. But a lot of times I still feel like even for something as superficial as like, oh, my outside appearance, like how my eyes look or how my hair is, like it, it does feel like, oh, mm, but I'll never truly be part of this, which, you know, seems like nothing compared to the struggle that maybe you and other first-gen immigrants have had. So if I can understand it, even on that kind of level, I'm, I'm sure your experience has only been an extension. Right. I mean, you know, we talk about my experience, but, you know, imagine how how much harder it would have been for earlier immigration generation, like, you mm. know, the, the Japanese who came here and Chinese who came here, and especially, you know, this country having had that Chinese Exclusion Act uh, in mm. the past as well. Yeah. So, you know, out of ashes of those experiences, we have risen. And once again, it's not just, you know, uh, Asians against um, Caucasians or anything like that. But really, I mean, society as a whole, I think we've come far. Yeah. And yeah. I am very grateful. Yeah, me too. To go into, though, basically what we're here really mainly to talk about, uh, again, 9-11 was this huge, really tragic event for Americans across the board, I would say. I don't think there's anybody whose life was untouched by this in some way. But also, like I said before, I think everybody came away with such a different, um, I don't know, perspective change or life change. So for you, I feel that it was really important to ask about your story because it is especially unique being a Korean immigrant, already having this struggle that you've opened up about kind of having that split identity almost. So for you, what was that day like Um in, in the actual day, like, what were you doing? And then I guess we could talk later about what impact it's had on you. Sure. So I got married in 2000. And then um, 
2001, May 31st was when you were born. Mm-hmm. Um, so life was kind of like, you know, you know, I was getting into that family mode. Right, right. And uh, September 11th is when this happened. So um, I was in New Jersey <clears throat> working at a um, church as mm-hmm. a youth pastor. I don't know what day it was, but it was a weekday because I remember going to the office in the morning. And um, when I arrived, uh, the secretary said, oh, there's a plane crash at one of the towers. Mm -hmm. And um, I immediately thought about when one of the military aircraft uh, ran into the Empire State Building. That building still stands. So, I mean, you know, although there was a lot of damage, but, you know, so I thought it was something like that. So I thought it was an aviation accident, Mm. Um, thought nothing of it. And uh, the World Trade Center itself have, um, the two buildings have survived terrorist attack earlier Mm. as well. So there was bomb planted or went off in the basement, but that the the building itself was okay. So... Mm. I mean, nowhere in my mind did I ever think that the, the tower is going to come down. But, you know, as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh, it should be okay. I mean, you know, it has happened before. And I went to my office, turned on uh, 1010 Winds. And that's a 24-7 news network in, um, in the New York, New Jersey area. And I was listening to the broadcast. We did not have TV, but uh, mm. as I was listening, I mean, things were getting worse and worse. I still remember the reporter reporting live and she was screaming, oh my God, oh my God, the building is coming down. And I think oh. right after that, um, I think I just turned up the thing and mm. I just got my stuff and I just headed home. Wow. Um, by then, Manhattan itself was pretty much sealed. Mm-hmm. All the bridge, bridges have been uh, shut down. Um, so, you know, in 2001, we did not have GPS. So what mm-hmm. I had was Rand McNally, this paper map. So there's a route that I take to go home from, mm-hmm. you know, um, where my office was um, to where we were living in Leonia, New Jersey. And, you know, but that road had been blocked off. So I couldn't get to it. And I didn't know how to get to get back home. Mm-hmm. So I was frantically just trying to find a way to get back home while calling your mom uh, on the cell phone and mm-hmm. I could not get in touch with her. So, you know, just this multitasking of different things going on, trying to get, you know, make sure that mm-hmm. people are here and and all those things going on. And um, finally I got home um, and it was a blur. And you yeah. know, I think... The experience is very common for everybody. We could not get our eyes off our TVs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's reporting coming in. Initially, we didn't know what was going on. And then that surprise and fear turned into anger mm-hmm. uh, because we started learning what this was all about. And, you know, we've seen the first tower obviously go down. And then, like, you know, I think I saw the uh, second tower go down wow. on TV, on uh, live. Oh, wow. um, and it was just unreal. Unreal, and mm. because the church was in Paramus, New Jersey, right across uh, from New York, uh, we had a lot of members who oh. worked in in the city. Oh. So just hearing different folks, and I think somehow they were stuck in 
Manhattan for a few days. So, you know, hearing the story afterwards about how they had to kind of get in touch with each other and got a room and a bunch of them kind of stayed in one room together mm-hmm. until they were clear to come out. Another guy was on the ferry um, going into the city. And as soon as they got there, they, they were told to just head back to New Jersey. So he came out. Um, the closest uh, people that I had were like, who actually um, perished in the tower were one of them were was a son of a pastor that was in my same denomination. And he had um, just come back from uh, some other business trip that morning at six o'clock in the morning. And so as soon as he landed, called his dad, the pastor, and then went into work and never heard from again. Uh, There's another guy that, you know, a few months prior, we we met actually at my house. Uh, to talk about some kind of, you know, some ministry things that we wanted to do for youth ministry that we were kind of doing uh, between many churches and mm-hmm. wanted to do something together. So we met and I met him then and, you know, we found out that he had perished in the tower. So those are two closest ones, but um, others, you know, just the, the whole experience that we went through together. I mean, it was just yeah. crazy times. And, and also at the same time, amazing times, mm. uh, because soon after the shock kind of settled down, a lot of people were mobilized. And, you know, I actually did not go to donate my blood mm. because the lines were just, you know, blocks long. Wow. People were just flocking to the blood donation centers to give their blood. Um I consciously made choice not to go down to the ground zero because you know they were t- you know uh, they were telling people you know unless you have clearance not to come down mm-hmm. and you know, be a hindrance and I didn't want to be a, you know this cowboy mm-hmm. pastor you know just <laughs> go down uh, yeah. but but I, I so wanted to do something mm-hmm. I so wanted to do something because you know like I just mentioned I just had married um, mm-hmm. just just over a year ago prior to this. Yeah just had a child and had a stable job. And, you know, my sense of calling to be a pastor, um, you know, was fulfilled. And you know, it's I was having a lot of um, mm. fulfillment, so to speak, in mm. my ministry and my life. And I had thought back then that, you know, this is where I want to be for the rest of my mm. life, in New York or New Jersey, right? the East Coast, and just being in ministry, uh, raising a family and, um, so that was my mm. my kind of American dream, yeah, yeah, um, so to speak. But nine eleven happened, and you know, like many people, um, mm. that kind of turned, right? And you know, I don't think anything directly happened, so that you know, I I, I made drastic changes right there and then. But I think that for me, really mm. planted the seed of yeah. this immigrant kid mm. wanting to repay in some way in some shape yeah uh, the country that's been so good to me wow wow i think a few years ago maybe when i had first kind of heard like a good amount of your 9-11 story um that line about just um realizing like wow i really do want to give back to this country because it's been so good to me i think that's what stuck with me all these years when i think about your story and uh really kind of what propelled me to ask about this but also there's just 
like you going into military service as a kid coming here 16 would you ever have ever imagined yourself being now like a lieutenant colonel chaplain in the u.s air force just the fact that i speak english now is a miracle (laughs) (laughs) so uh, no i did not think um like that was really a far-fetched dream Mm -hmm. um so, you know, having grown up in Korea, so, you know, everybody, not, not I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of male, mm-hmm. uh, because there's draft and you have to serve mandatory years in the military. So if you could get out of it somehow, some way, I mean, it's like winning the lottery, right? So, <laughs> you know, for me to want want to go back to uh, go into military, I mean, that's something like, you know, <laughs> of oddity. Um, like, yeah. why would I do that? And Having grown up in Korea in the 70s, I mean, that's when, as you may be aware, Mm -hmm. uh, those were dictatorship years, right? Mm -hmm. So when you think about authorities and military, I mean, you have this, you know, oh, those are scary folks. Uh, That's the, at least the image that I had in my mind. So uh, when you think about joining the military, like, you know, know, granted that, you know, like, like at that point, I wasn't f- like really culturally too familiar mm-hmm. or, you know, my English is still developing. And for me to jump from that um, Korean community, because uh, yeah. I don't think I mentioned this yet, but uh, that church that I was serving at was a Korean American mm-hmm. church as well. Mm-hmm. So I was deeply rooted in Korean American uh, society. And then for me to jump to, you know, quote unquote, mainline American uh, society, I mean, that was something that's you know, really hard for me to imagine, uh, much more so for me to become a military member. Right, right. right. Um, and that was my initial, I guess, um, hesitation when I was mm-hmm. thinking about um, kind of doing something. There was a lot of um, like, oh, you know, I don't think I'm good enough and, and fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do I do this? So... Four years, I feel like God has really planted the seed in 2001 and then took me through a series of events, uh, turns and, you know, whatnots for me to come to decision in around 2004-ish hmm. uh, to start this application process. And hmm. 2005 is when I came in. So there's short version and long version so that's a short version long version is so after 2001 uh, I felt like okay so as a pastor what can I do to serve the country and and then I was reminded that you know one of my friends in seminary had mentioned that um, there's this thing called chaplaincy so he was looking into it so uh, I was curious so I looked into it and you know because of my experience with or perception of military, mm-hmm. I just, you know, stopped and said, hey, that's really not me. Right. And in 2003, uh, uh, there was an occasion for me to actually move churches. And I was thinking about, you know, uh, so I s- remember still having the application for the Army Chaplain Corps oh, wow. in front of me <laughs> with the phone on my hand. Yeah. Should I, should I not call, not call? And I decided at the end, it's like, oh, this is not it. This is not me. Well, selfishly, as an Air Force family, we're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. God's prophets, right? Yeah. Uh, But so after I gave up on that idea of going into the Army Chaplain Corps, um, Mm. we moved to Washington uh, Mm. State and took home in Washington. And I was not very aware of where this church was or what this church's background was. 
But when I got there, I realized uh, it's very near uh, Fort Lewis and uh, McCord Air Force Base. And there were a lot of folks uh, who were affiliated with the military. And there were a lot of retired military uh, members who married Korean spouses mm. and started coming to this church. So there was actually ministry oh. for uh, these folks. And I tell you, these were one of the most kind people that I have ever met. And, you know, totally, totally um, annihilated my perception, my previous (laughs) perception of, you know, that scary military stereotype. Right. So. So that's, I think, how God uh, started to familiarize me with Mm. military culture. Yeah. And, you know, just getting to know these military members. And we had a few members who were active duty military back then, Mm -hmm. uh, Army guys. So I got to talk to them a little bit. And and then uh, in around 2004, the church was going through a hard time. So opportunity came for me to uh, seek another position. And by then, it was a whole lot easier for me to imagine myself as a military chaplain. Wow. So, you know, a couple of, uh, I guess advices that were given to me that I still appreciate. Number one was um, <clears throat> just chaplaincy itself. I was talking to this army guy, army officer. He was a surgeon and he went to West Point grad. Um, so mm. I was talking to him and I told him, hey, I think I feel like God is calling me into chaplaincy and military ministry. And he's, you know, eyes just lit up and he's, and he just responded by saying, hey, Pastor So, that's how I came to know Jesus Christ. Oh at West Point uh, through a chaplain. And right there, I felt like that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And uh, further talking to different folks, um, I still appreciate it. I was talking to Army retiree and I was telling him about, you know, the sense of calling that I was kind of getting. And he said, Pastor So, let me just give you one piece of advice. Go Air Force. (laughs) From, from this army from guy. From an army guy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I stuck is. with that. Uh, and uh, <laughs> another reason was, you know, I was still kind of determining the sense of calling. So trying mm-hmm. to see, is this really it? And, you know, if I, you know, back then, you know, not to knock army, but because we were in, um, in the conflict and we needed a lot more bodies and we were, army was really recruiting, you know, like pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. But Air Force, you know, what I read was they said it was very competitive. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, okay, you know, let me apply to the most competitive one and see mm-hmm. how it goes. And if wow. I make it, then, you know, like that's further confirmation that this is <sighs> God's calling and God is really leading me and clearing the way for me, wow. which I did. And the church was very supportive. And as you know, we still uh, keep in touch with many of mm-hmm. the members back then. Yeah. So really, like, no reason for me to leave that uh, ministry. And it wasn't that I wanted to leave that ministry, but I just, you know, felt that sense and rediscovered my sense of obligation that I developed uh, in 2001, uh, going through 9-11. So it kind of worked out, you know, for me as a pastor, you know, how can I serve the country and serve, you know, the, the country that's been so good to me? And to me, really, the, the only answer was Chapel Corps. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I feel like, yeah, what you said about God planting a seed, if we're going to use that metaphor like that, mm-hmm. 
is totally true because it's not even some dramatic like 9-11 happened 2001 okay by September 2002 you're in the military mm-hmm. serving but like the fact that it was kind of growing and stirring inside you this whole time you even literally like moved to the other side of the country and even there um, that calling kind of followed you and grew even more um, so I think it's just amazing how, how we've come to this point and obviously like here we are right like on a Friday night in Colorado, like of all places. And now you've been in the military for uh, nearly 20 years, which is crazy. So it's um, it's insane how far life can bring you. Um, do you feel, I know that there was all kind of these different factors to motivate you uh, to join or give you that sense of obligation. Um, do you still, all this time later, time and distance later, do you still feel that this is where you're supposed to be, or at least that the last 20 years you've done what you're supposed to do? I think, you know, the only sure thing you could say is in retrospect, I mean, looking back in your life, um, I think that's where you see the, the hands of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, looking back, not only 17 years in the military, but, you know, my whole life, uh, from where I began and where I am now, I think for sure God has led me, and um, in many many occasions, um, the ways that I had never expected. Mm-hmm. And for the present, I think I could only speak of you know, my sense of I guess like I'm pretty sure this is where I am. Right? There's no way to confirm it until you, you go past your experience. Mm-hmm. For now, uh, I am grateful, once again, I mean, I think that's the theme of my life, you know, just mm-hmm. being grateful for what God has done and where He has led me. And um, right now, I am very grateful that I have this opportunity to serve the people who serve. Yeah, wow. Um, life and the career do not necessarily turn out the, the way that you expected or you, I mean, initially, I think, you know, you kind of imagine your life will be this way, that way, because you wanted it that way and you asked for it. But, you know, in my experience too, like I said, one sure thing is in retrospect, looking back, the, my life did not turn out or my career did not turn out the way that I wanted or planned or wished. Uh, for example, you know, when I joined, you know, that's when uh, the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan were pretty high. Mm. So I really wanted to, and, you know, I, you know, told people that, you know, I wanted to go to Iraq or Afghanistan to deploy there. Oh, wow. uh, but so far in my 17-year career, I deployed three times. Once to Qatar, so that's as close to Afghanistan <laughs> and Iraq I got to. Um, Qatar, you know, also known as Camp Cupcake. <laughs> Uh, the second deployment was to Curacao, and if you're not aware uh, where that is, you know that's exactly the question that I asked my uh, unit deployment manager when he told me, "Oh, you're going to Curacao," and I said, "Where is that?" And he said, "You don't know Curacao? It's in like in a Beach Boys song. Like that's another one of the cultural references that I'm not too familiar with. It's like Aruba, Bohemia." <laughs> And you know, but, they mentioned Curacao, and I was like, oh. "Oh, I never, I didn't know, but that's near Aruba." Oh, so it is, um, it is in that um, Caribbean uh, <laughs> island, and you know, I was there for six months, and 
And then the last one was to Korea, and that was yeah. just you know short stint of me just supporting exercise. So, so yeah, again, my life, my deployment, my military career, it has been like these. Wow, you've done what? You've done like special <laughs> forces and you know these special operations, and you know you know whenever I see people uh, whose bio says data mask, and I go, ooh, what kind of things <laughs> have you done? Right? Uh, but that did not turn out that way. And for me too, I've done a lot of Space Force. Mm. And our mission set is very different than what people think of when they think of military. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not bombs going off, you know, guns blazing and things mm. like that. But uh, when you actually figure out what we do, I mean, people here do amazing things. Yeah. Amazing things that people don't understand and realize. And, you know, Whenever I I hear people you know, making a joke about Space Force, you know, mm-hmm. oh, that's I saw that Netflix movie. The Netflix, Steve like, Carell. <laughs> okay, let your ignorance be just ignorance, <laughs> you know, because Space Force and what we do is, I mean, it is totally amazing and totally mm-hmm. awesome, and I am so grateful that I'm here to support our men and women who are serving this country by means that people do not really know about. Yeah. But every day, twenty four seven, this you know, people on this base, like, mm. we do amazing things. Yeah, I almost feel like that's similar to ministry. The little I know, like people mm. kind of have this perception of it that it might be this certain lifestyle or way of life, or maybe really boring or inactive. But especially as um, like the pastor, the minister, the chaplain, what have you, like there's a lot of behind the scenes that's going on. There's a lot of like caring for people that people may never recognize but um you're always I, I really liked what you said about like uh serving those who serve like you might be one who serves but even in that as a chaplain you're providing these kind of um this spiritual care for service members and uh, even you bringing up korea like not just us living there but you deploying there um if i recall correctly that was largely because you could uh, translate for people from korean to the american side and i think about that like oh wrapping everything up just what we've been talking about you coming from korea you even saying just speaking english might have been an accomplishment in itself but you know i I really feel that god put you here in this um in this service like you've been placed here with your unique background and this unique thing that you bring to the table where you can help further this mission and support it um uh, you are a product of all these things that that maybe were the exact things that you felt was hindering you before or making you afraid right i mean i i absolutely agree i mean um, once again in retrospect you kind of look at hands of god at work at everywhere because mm-hmm. i mean like you know who would have imagined that I would deploy to Korea? Even when we were um, living long-term in Korea, I know that they were saying, I think you were the first like Korean-American chaplain, right? To, right? to be the wing chaplain. And that, like, I know I barely saw a fraction of a fraction of a fraction like of your work there. Um, but even the tiny moments I did get to see you at work, it was a lot of like pride just seeing that like wow you know that's so amazing that not only is my father like you know he's a lieutenant colonel wing chaplain here at korea but also so competent in your job as it is and add on the layer of you get to communicate with the u.s military as well as the korean side that was so amazing 
So yeah, so about the the Wing Chun position at Osan. Uh, so Osan obviously is in Korea, and when I got there, I was told by the uh, the secretary who's been there for about forty years, and she said that um, that I was the first Korean born hmm. or Korean, like you know, I guess. Period. Like Korean chaplain, mm-hmm. Korean wing chaplain right. at Osan. Uh, and as you un- might understand, uh, assignments are not really merit-based, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not because I was so good that, you know, mm-hmm. I got this position. But, you know, it just happened that, you know, I was the next Korean guy um, in the queue that happened to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am very, very proud, not for myself, but for our country and the Air Force and the yeah. Chaplain Corps. Because we've come this far um, since the Air Force wow. was created that it took a while. But now we're seeing people of color, mm-hmm. um, more diverse leaders emerging. And, you know, Korea has been our ally ever since 1950s and even before. And, you know, we came to a point, finally, to <laughs> be able to have a Korean-American chaplain go there wow. as the wing chaplain. Yeah. So that was a momentous occasion, not just for myself, but also for Korean American society, as well as uh, U.S. military yeah. and U.S. Air Force. Uh, Army has quite a number of Korean American chaplains at, at a higher rank, mm. but Air Force as a young uh, service branch, we have a long way to go, but we are seeing them coming up. Um, right. I wish that it was quicker. I wish uh, we have more diversity, but... We are getting there. So yeah, and that's definitely. that's something that I was very proud to be a part of. Yeah. Um, once again, not by merit, but it just happened that way. Right. And and I do think like I'm, you know, from an outside perspective, I'm proud of you and I think you should also be of yourself. But it is amazing that because of the circumstances and especially when you're in this job that's literally about serving God and people, it really does keep you humble and helps you remember like yeah (laughs) you know i never could have imagined myself here um before we left korea i remember even uh because because they're in the process of building a new church or chapel on base and that was this huge project probably i'm guessing one of the bigger ones if not the biggest that you were heading and overseeing while you were there but right before we moved we got the opportunity to kind of tour it as it's under construction and we were walking through and i just remember uh feeling like this deep sense of um, pride or it was so cool just to see that we didn't have to walk around with these Korean construction guys and wait for somebody to interpret or translate it. Then we'd be like, what is this room? Uh, okay, like after a couple minutes, you know, translate back. But you with the like ultimate vision because you're the wing chaplain like being able to communicate with them and get the ideas across you could even see they were a bit refreshed and happy because like their eyes were all lit up like oh we could speak his language he gets us and then you turning around and explaining it to all of us family or chapel staff was really awesome um I know for a fact that, you know, they were very happy because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Koreans get very stressed out when they have oh. to speak in English. But, mm. uh, you know, just having me there, just translating for them, uh, I think. And I think that's, you know, not just with the construction workers, but mm. with the Korean military, uh, Air Force chaplains on the Korean side as well. I think that was very useful to be able to speak uh, the language 
to communicate and that made our jobs a whole lot easier. Mm. So I think that's something that uh, unique capability that the military could uh, take advantage of by yeah. utilizing uh, language-enabled uh, airmen mm. uh, for the Air Force. Yeah, definitely. Um, with that, I mean, as we kind of end off here, do you feel that there's anything specific that, uh, whether it's something that the military has taught you and that you've internalized and or that you would like to share with those listening, even if they're not, let's say, really like patriotic or military entwined or anything like that. Um, would you say there's anything you've learned that you would want people to know? I, you know, I think military in general, I think I'm very grateful for the opportunities to really grow. And just looking back uh, 17 years ago, how I was uh, versus where I am today, um, especially, I don't know about, you know, for the lack of my knowledge of other military branches of other countries, but U.S. military is doing fantastic job in developing leaders. Mm-hmm. So I think my leadership skill and uh, the readiness of that uh, has really, um, really increased and improved um, mm-hmm. in the 17 years that I've been in. So I'm very grateful for that uh, skill development. But I think overall, when you think about really the, the meaning of the service that I've done for 17 years so far, uh, hopefully 20 years in a few years, is that that sense of gratitude. Mm-hmm. I keep coming back to it because, you know, for me as a Korean-American serving in Korea, it was a little weird because <laughs> here I am, a Korean-born American serving for the U.S. military on an installation in Korea, yeah. right? So who am I? Am I Korean? (laughs) Am I American? We conveniently call it a Korean-American, but what what in the world does that really mean? So Ms. Park was our secretary. Uh, I misstated. I mean, she she served the federal government, U.S. government, for 40-something years, but she was at Osan for 30-something years. Mm. And she said something as we're PCSing back to the States, and she said, um, in Korean, um, so that means congratulations on your returning home. Hmm. And I thought that was profound. Where is home for me? Yeah. Am I Korean? Am I American? But I am really coming home, hmm. right? Coming home to America. Yeah. And again, it's not about whether one country is better than another. I am not for this blind patriotism for something that people don't really understand, nor do they put in any effort to serve. But having served this country, really risking, I mean, you know, mm. putting my myself out there to serve. And as you have experienced, and we had to uproot many, many times, mm-hmm. go to new places. And, you know, even now having to put our kids to a brand new environment after a couple of years of developing friends and Mm. connections and so on and so forth. I mean, that's what military goes through, right? Mm -hmm. But in the end, what have I gained? What have I learned? It's really learning the art of paying back the debt of gratitude. (laughs) So the country has been good to me. 
and you know has provided with you know means to survive and also thrive in in this country and how do i pay back that debt Mm. of gratitude Mm. and for me that was life of service really serving in the military to serve the those who who serve and you know when i retire and i think hopefully if i could keep this sense of gratitude of all that god has given me and blessed me with and i'm not talking about material sense but Mm -hmm. you know just the sense of that meaning yeah my life meant something to some people Uh, if i could almost graduate or retire with that sense of fulfillment of i've touched some some lives yeah with the help of god i think that would be sufficient grace for me well i can't even respond to that i can't top that i mean <laughs> that's so good um i feel really like it it does it does all come back to just god and his faithfulness and just um that's that's been the overarching thing you know his goodness to you and by extension to us and like you said to others around you who you've gotten to serve and um also i mean the the theme i'm getting from all this is it's it's give and take right like we're not just receiving like like this country and like all the good things it has for us but also giving back by serving but also in doing so that has blessed us so much because we've met amazing people and because um you know you're serving this country this country is a better place for future generations to live and that means you know for your kids like me and my sisters and you know it, it could go on forever but i really do think it's just everybody it's giving and takes so um i i really appreciate you know i know we we have a lot of time together because uh we're family and at least for the summer i'm here living under the same roof with you but i just really appreciate your time and just um thank you for sharing your story it's good to have this kind of conversation and um for people who are so important to you and close to you it's amazing to hear especially uh life before maybe everything that i know and i've seen but where you come from and yeah, and what you believe in and everything that uh, that drives you. So thank you so much for your time. And well, thank you for inviting me finally. Finally. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we put this on record so that I don't have to explain to everybody else. It's uh. <laughs> one, one, one and done. Uh, nice, convenient, practical. I just <laughs> refer them to the link. I say, if you want to, yeah, I'll give you a business card. Like, hey, Kate, if you want to know more about your dad here. <laughs> We could play this over dinner so nobody has to talk. We just have like 10-minute segments every day. They'll be sustained. No, but thank you so much. Well, thank you. So I'm very proud of you I'm just listening to your podcast. Uh, I don't listen to every single one of them. but <laughs> You I'm listen just, to my podcast. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it just auto pops up. You're in up a good mood. <laughs> and there, you know, but I, I'm very impressed the way that you... Um, lead conversation and um, just the way that you ask and um, it really brings out a lot and I hope you know great things will happen for you and in your career and again as I have served this country and you know uh, feel grateful for all that that has happened I wish and I pray that your experience will be the same that one day when you when the time comes for you to just sit 
and in retrospect look back in your life that you'll be able to say by the grace of God right right it's been a blessing yeah well I look forward to it thank you daddy thank you Robin love you that's recorded right so I never have to hear you say I love you again I just (laughs) I replay it you say just listen to your podcast (laughs) on repeat (laughs) every day